Elder care in rural America is unique, not just while the patient is in the hospital, but also after discharge. Resources in rural communities may be scarcer, access to transportation more limited, and other factors that can impact a person's health after leaving the hospital are different in a rural community. So, how do rural hospital case management programs navigate the rural environment to ensure adequate support for elderly patients? With thorough communication, connection to local resources, and attention to the whole person. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 95 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. You know, Rachel, we recently had Dr. Shooker, um, our Director of Hospitalist Medicine, uh, on Episode 92, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And he talked about uh, elder care from a hospitalist physician's perspective, giving care to them in the hospital, the types of things that we see typically with that population, sometimes home alone, limited family contact. Mm-hmm. I would encourage, if you have not heard it, please tune in uh, to yes, episode 92, 92 because it is pretty incredible to learn about some of the challenges in rural America that our elders have uh, that live in this community, some without resources, transportation, uh, family limits. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that, I believe, today. But um, I want to talk today about that exact issue from a case management perspective. In other words, how does Hillsdale Hospital address it um, once we've identified that population in our inpatient or even outpatient? And then how do we address it from a hospital system? That's right. We are talking with someone who works with patients every day, and many of them are more elderly. And of course, in rural America, we tend to have a higher proportion of patients that are elderly. And uh, our guest today Works with those patients all the time. Absolutely. One of our favorites, Nicole Klein, manager of case management at Hillsdale Hospital. Welcome for your first time ever uh, to Rural Health Rising. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So to start, Nicole, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital? Yeah, so I graduated from Reading High School, went on to Siena Heights University and graduated with my bachelor's degree in nursing. Um, I came here directly after college and started my first year on the medical surgical floor. And then I have worked in case management for seven years. Wow. Case management. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means mm-hmm. uh, because someone may be listening like, wait a minute, isn't that like social work? Yeah. Uh, we're going to well, talk a little bit about that. I want to ask though, what When and why did you move into case management from working the floor as a nurse? Um, There was just an opening available, and I was kind of intrigued by what they did Mm because not many people know what case management is, even in the hospital, honestly. Um, And so I kind of got to know them, and I saw that the the staff that was in case management at the time, they had been there for a while, so I thought, oh, it must be a pretty good job. And so once I got in there, I realized that, you know, you really use those critical thinking skills that you get from college, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you are able to really apply it in mm-hmm. case management. Mm-hmm. Not that you're not on the floor, but right. it's just it's a, different a different type of, yeah. 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 And unlike thinking. nursing, you get a lunch break with case right. managers. Yeah. She kind of liked that. That <laughs> was kind of cool. Yeah. That was kind of cool. But yeah. uh, we'll talk a little bit about your interaction because you never stop being a nurse, no. obviously. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, now that we've established a little bit of your background, what you do, we always like to start with the question, why? And we do this on every episode, so we get mm-hmm. to know our guests just a little bit better. So I want to know, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? 
Um, my family is my biggest motivation. But like I said, I was born and raised in this county. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I love being able to take care of my community now as a nurse. I knew that I wanted to be a nurse mm-hmm. as a young child. I was always helping my family members, you know, taking a stance in their care. And now I'm able to do that. But just actually in the hospital, I'm actually able to make a difference in their lives and other people's yeah. lives. Well, so. let's talk about your family. So yeah. let's just give a little shout out to them because they're going to be listening to For this. Sure. Yeah. So you have like 17 children or how many no. kids do you have now? <laughs> no, 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 not seven. Okay. Just right. one. Just one. Just okay. One. All right. Yep. Yep. And uh, you have, how old is? She's your, five. She is five. Awesome. Yes. And then obviously grew up in Hillsdale mm-hmm. County. Isn't it intriguing when you grew up here like I did and then you're working in a local hospital, just the tremendous amount of people that you see that you get to interact with. You may see them at church grocery store, but that you've had chance, you know, high school, grow up with them, to grow up with them. Um, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? To it work is. back in your local community. Yeah. I think that's important uh, as we talk about community and, you know, how mm-hmm. do we identify? There's been many cases that have been brought to me by whether it's a nursing manager or a supervisor that would say, JJ, we have this patient in. And then I'll be like, what's the patient's name? Oh, yeah, I know him. I go to church with him. I know his daughter. Let me give her a call, see if we can't do this. That's that personal touch oh, that yeah. I mm-hmm. think that you see every day uh, down in the emergency department where you work. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that. But, you know, what What I want to, to ask you for our listeners' sake uh, is for those who may have just a, a very basic understanding um, of hospital operations, what is case management? And why is it important for hospitals to have a case management department? So case management is divided into two separate functions, one being utilization review. Utilization review goes over the um, patient's insurance. So we send prior authorizations to their insurance and make sure that they're authorized to be here. That also pertains to the correct status that they're in. So Mm -hmm. meaning whether they're inpatient or observation, outpatient. Um, And then the second part of that is discharge planning, which Mm -hmm. is where we get to go in and talk to the patients and their families, set up things that they may need at home, Mm -hmm. could be equipment or services. They may need placed into a facility things like that. Um, So we really have to get to know the patient and Mm -hmm. the whole patient. So everything that goes on in their lives, their family members, their friends, their neighbors, um, you know, what their abilities are and, you know, what they need at home. Yeah. So let's talk about UR, as we call it, utilization Mm -hmm. and review. Very complex. Yes. uh, The way the insurance companies work today. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I often, the calls I get are angry relatives you know, you're not keeping mom or dad. You're not keeping my grandma. This is ridiculous. You get those calls too. Definitely. But it's it's tough, isn't it? Why mm-hmm. don't you talk talk to our listener a little bit about what that process looks like for you and you are, if you would, please. Yeah. And then I want to talk a little bit about the discharge planning piece as well. But let's start there. Sure. So um, utilization review for us is normally based off of a certain criteria called interqual. And every patient that comes in, even from our emergency room to our OB unit, they all have a certain criteria that they have to meet to meet inpatient versus observation versus outpatient. Um, So once we go through all of the patient's medical record and we put all of that together into one document, then we decide, you know, whether the patient meets that criteria Mm -hmm. or not. Now, obviously, all of that falls onto the physician. So the physician will look at the patient and see if the patient 
needs to be an inpatient or whether they need to be an outpatient, meaning an observation. Um, and then we kind of let them know what needs to be done if they need to continue to be an outpatient. Mm -hmm. And this is all done even on a daily basis. So as long as a patient is here in the hospital, we are continuously checking to see if they meet status. Yeah. And we've been, so, so the biggest issue is we have been denied the provision to admit the patient before. Correct. And there's no way around that, correct? No. I mean, you can pay, I guess, right? The consumer correct. can pay. But at the end of the day, you have experienced those times where the insurance company says, nope. Right. Even though we have argued before, like, wait a minute, patient yeah. meets criteria. Mm-hmm. Right. And two things happen. Either they pay, mm-hmm. actually three things, they pay, the hospital pays, right? Yeah. Because we don't get reimbursed. Or third, unfortunately, the patient is discharged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it, it's it's more of the latter because in a in a poor community they're not paying in no. a hospital that as we're rule struggle yeah. we have to get paid from the insurance companies to keep a patient mm-hmm. because right. it's not all charity care. And so then right. the third is we have to tell a family how difficult. Have you had to do that before? Uh, you, all the you, time. It's all the time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it's probably the most heart-wrenching thing that you've done. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're frustrated because they only want what's best for their family member. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. they have, you know, a third party, meaning the insurance company, telling them that they can't. So it is very, very hard. And we try to do everything we possibly can to Mm -hmm. meet a patient. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of those are black and white. Those statuses don't blend. There's no gray area. So where does a patient go if you deny admission, typically speaking, where you know that they, what what kind of advice and direction do you give a family when you know it didn't meet the insurance criteria, but But they need some kind of care. Mm -hmm. What typically will you give as a transition? We have so many resources to give to these patients and families. So um, most of the time, I mean, obviously it depends on what the patient needs. So if it's placement, then we try our best to get the patient to placement from the emergency room. Um, But a lot, a lot goes into that, obviously, you know, whether there are facilities that are available, Mm -hmm. um, transportation, you know, all of those things go into it. But most of it is insurance based or whether they are able to private pay or not. Um, So we try everything that we can to try and make the patients meet, um, whether it's through a short-term rehab stay or doing long-term care or an adult foster care facility, yeah. assisted living facilities as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, real quick, um, mm-hmm. let's talk about the other side of it, which is the discharge planning piece of it. Mm-hmm. Because equally important mm-hmm. is do I have resources at home right. or in the community once I'm discharged. So it's role, not like everything is better and no, no. issues just because you're being no. discharged. Just because you no longer meet it, criteria yeah. right. to stay in the hospital right. doesn't mean that all your problems are solved. Right. And aver- the average length of stay is less than three days, right. Rachel. Correct. So, right. I mean, you know and I know that it takes more than three days to rehab somebody. Oh, yeah. And so let's talk about discharge planning. In rural mm-hmm. communities, and as our listeners are across the United States, rural communities struggle with resources post-discharge, right? Yep. I mean, finding resources for transportation. How many times have you or one of your colleagues, I don't know if I've gotten a call from you, call me directly as a president saying, can you take so-and-so home? 
Do lots. you remember those days? Oh, lots, lots. And, and I'm driving them home yes. against the advice of attorneys and <laughs> yes. my risk manager <laughs> saying, don't do it, Jay. But these patients would not get home no, if right. I wasn't driving them. So mm-hmm. what we know is that post-discharge resources are critical. So talk to us a little bit about how that process works in, in, in discharge planning. What does it mean you plan someone's discharge? Yeah. You start from admission, right? We do. See, I know Ta-da. something about See, this. Rachel's we, learning. Um, yes. Now that I'm in the emergency room, I actually try and start before the patient is actually admitted. So when you look at the two and you think utilization review and discharge planning, they don't really go together, but they do actually go hand in hand because you have to know what the patient's insurance is going to approve or deny Mm -hmm. to know what resources they're able to use outside of the hospital as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we start before the patient even comes in. Most of the time in the emergency room, we're um, looking at all the information from their medical record. We check their insurances. We try to get them into the correct status. Once the patient's admitted, we normally give them about 24 hours to get up to the floor, get acclimated, and kind of stabilize. Then we'll see them. We'll talk to their patients and the families and and just start asking them all the questions, start assessing what their needs are. Um, And those start off with, you know, do you have transportation? If you don't have transportation, do you have someone that you're able to call if you need it? Um, If you don't, we have lists of many things that we can give to the patient. But transportation is one of them that is very hard to come by. Mm -hmm. Um, We do not have very many transportation services in the area. Right. Um, And if we do, we have it just inside the city city limits, and it just doesn't go Mm -hmm. out to those little borders. Days and hours. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, we just start talking to them about what their needs are. It could be cleaning services or Meals on Wheels. Um, Senior Center is amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have their free equipment loan program, which is super helpful. And you're starting to coordinate that the minute the patient comes in. Yep. Like, all right, we know they're going to be gone in 2.7 days because that's the average length of stay. We've Mm got to have all these resources ready to go. When we go in their room, here's a list, here's a packet of resources available, right? Yep. And we don't, we most of the time are just asking them because obviously, you know, we have patients that come in and they're in their 20s and then we have patients that come in in their 90s. So Mm -hmm. we just assess first what exactly we feel like we would like to, you know, give them or what they have available to them as well. Um, And then we just go from there. And it could be something as simple as, you know, you need a primary care physician. We have information on that. Or they may need, you know, major help in the, in home. You know, they live at home alone. They're not able to get from room to room. They need a walker and a wheelchair and a hospital bed and all of these other needs. And we can try as hard as possible to get them set up before they leave. So... So speaking of what you said about some patients come in in their 20s and some are in their 90s, that's a perfect mm-hmm. kind of transition into um, what we want to really zero in on today, which is that elder population. So what makes the elderly population in rural communities a little bit unique? Um, I think... It's proximity. Most of Mm. our um, elderly patients don't live just right inside the city limits Mm -hmm. and can drive themselves. And and so um, some of them have outlived most of their family members as well. So it's true. So they don't have a lot of friends or family or neighbors that can help them out readily. Um, So making sure that they're set up with everything that they need at discharge is crucial as well. So it's 
they are unique and mm-hmm. <laughs> they really, really are. So their needs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, transportation is huge. Like I said, the senior center, they're super helpful. They do provide transportation. They do provide meals on wheels and cleaning services. Um, they provide respite care. I mean, just last week they provided, you know, a, a place for these patients to go so that they were able to stay warm during the storm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. things like that are so helpful for these mm-hmm. patients. They have like an adult care. Um, so patients who maybe are disabled, that they're able to mm-hmm. go there and be there all day, things like that. Yeah. You know, so every hospital has discharge planners. Yep. They have case management. And why don't you just briefly take us through the journey when a patient is, when it's decided that the patient admits, what does that process look like? So from the minute that begins, do you just say, all right, they're the hospital's problem now and they're the supervisor's problem? Do you check up daily with them? Are you looking at the roster to see what their diagnosis? Can you give us an insight into And how do you stay on top of all I know, that? Because this, like I'm overwhelmed just like learning about every, I mean, and I know a lot of the stuff that you do, but just hearing you walk through all of it, I'm like, I would be losing my, I'd be like running around with a chicken with my head cut off all the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. More than she is now. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, right, right. More right. than I already right. am. Yeah. Right. Right. So every day we print out a census of all of the patients that are in-house. So we have two case managers that work in-house. We um, divide them up equally, and that is divided up by their insurance company, by how old they are, what their diagnosis is, what their plans that we know that they'll probably need afterwards, things like that. So we split those up, and then we divide and conquer. We go out, see the patients. If there are patients that need, um, you know, immediate needs, obviously we see those first. There are some patients that have continued needs from the day before um, that we'll see daily sometimes because we just constantly are going back and talking to the family like, you know, this nursing facility said no or they don't have any beds. Can you give me another one that you would like to go with? And I'll Mm -hmm. call them and Mm -hmm. I'll get back with you. And I have an insurance company that I'm waiting for an authorization on, things like that. So Mm -hmm. um, we really are just in continuously talking with the patients and the family members. But most of our patients we do see daily. So Mm -hmm. sometimes when, you know, we have a full house, it's a full list and we have lots of patients to see. But otherwise, you know, we go through and and continuously update all of their um, UR per se. Mm -hmm. So we're doing concurrent reviews um, to make sure that they continuously meet for inpatient criteria Mm -hmm. or if they need to go from observation to inpatient criteria so that we can make sure that they're in the correct status as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. What are some of the struggles that you face being that we are in a rural community as a case manager in general, but also specifically when caring for elderly patients? And I know your whole career has been here, but, yeah. um, but you know, from your perspective, what are some of those rural specific sort of challenges and how do you address those? Um, I think transportation is one of them. Obviously, mm-hmm. I can't say it enough. I, I know agree. that that's, yeah. I, agree. Um, I just keep hounding in on it, but it is so hard for some of our elderly patients, you know, who can't see or, or whatever that may be that aren't able to, to drive themselves. They may right. physically be able, but they, you know, don't feel safe on the roads or whatever that may mm-hmm. be. Um, and then some of the other things is that we're, we're just such a small community that we don't we just don't have the resources that everyone else has. So right. our community only has two short-term rehabs or long-term care facilities. Mm-hmm. And so when those are full, unfortunately, those patients that live around here, they have to go to a different facility mm-hmm. outside of the county, which is frustrating, you right. know, and they want to stay around here and the families want to be close. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, sometimes that isn't always possible. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we see a lot of patients, you know, who don't have friends, family, neighbors that they can rely on. And so a lot of them don't have like an advocate for themselves or Mm. a guardian or, you know, a power of attorney, someone to make those decisions for them. So we see lots of elderly patients come in that don't have anyone that can speak for them when they're Mm -hmm. unable. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, we use the patient advocate packet that comes in all of the folders, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it just doesn't get filled out, which is important to know that they can have someone, um, you know, fill that out. And we can Mm -hmm. use that right here at the Mm -hmm. hospital. We can have someone be an advocate for them. Mm -hmm. So that's super important as well. So looking at the struggles, um, oftentimes I have our director of patient advocacy and risk management, as, as well as the hospital's director, call me or text me and say, hey, we've had the patient in here for a week. We had a patient not too long ago that was here for 48 or 50 days. I think it was 60. Was it 60 after it was all done? So two months. So two months. Yes. Um, But Nicole, that speaks volumes to the fact that of tertiary centers not receiving patients, as well as not finding a location for a specific population, Mm -hmm. whether it's mental health, whether it's, you know, whatever the, the, the situation is, typically what we find is uh, adult geriatric, you know, um, mental health issues and concerns, having facilities, enough facilities in our community. You know, we know that under the Engler administration, when he was governor, he shut down all the mental institutions in Michigan, and they ended up in jails and in ERs. Well, and, and part then, of that was federal, too, wasn't it? Because of federal funding, it and it, it basically it forced yeah. everyone to do that. Yeah, and so as a result of that, we as a state suffered these patients and or these individuals ended up uh, in places like our ER. But, you know, the, the 60-day patient and the 45-day patient and the 30-day patient, which I hear oftentimes, that... The concern there is access to services, right? Right. And that's got to be challenging for you to know that the patient has no medical reason to be here anymore. The insurance is is done paying us a day two. Correct. Uh, And so now it's all of this unnecessary cost, but it's about finding resources, right? And that's part of your job. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot of your job. And it must frustrate you when you have situations like this. Yeah, that patient in particular, it was um, guardianship. Unfortunately, we had run out of guardians like in the county that were willing to take on new patients. So even that in itself was just just breaks your heart. Yeah, it was it was really, really hard. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And so um, I'm so proud of our staff during that time because, I mean, we made a friend, right? We did. did. So Mm -hmm. um, but it's very hard. Staff were bringing in uh, coloring books and crossword puzzles and food. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. was just incredible to see what a local hospital can do. We just didn't park the patient no. down in the ER and say, you're in a holding area, right. which some hospitals do. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we kept the patient on the floor and we invested in the patient every day until we could find an appropriate placement for them. Yep. And that's that was incredible. And that's, you know, that is a lot of what you do to make sure that the patient has the resources that they need. But from your perspective, what is the most important, if you could name one, factor in providing successful quality case management in rural hospitals? Um, I think just education, honestly. I mean, our our case managers are nurses. So, of course, they have just that caring and compassionate, you know, capacity, right? Yeah. That's just, that's what they do. Um, but we are consistently educating ourselves mm-hmm. just daily. Sure the you more, <laughs> yeah, it's in ever, healthcare is ever changing. It so is. we can never be complacent. So we are always educating ourselves. There's always going to be a new resource that comes out that we can help, even if it's just one patient with, you know, that's, that's enough. 
because yeah. we we did something to help that patient in, in particular. So definitely educating ourselves on the insurance companies um, and then the resources that are provided out there. Sometimes we don't even know what's yeah. out there, you You're know, right. and, and there have been multiple days that I personally have went out into the community. I have. have went to the senior yeah. center. I have went to, you know, the the clinics to say, what do you guys have? What are what is available right. for your patients? What right. can I tell them? You know, yeah. right. and they are always super generous, giving me all of the information that they possibly can. But sometimes there's just not enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the relationship of knowing what facilities in our region exist, whether it's uh, Area Agency on Aging, whether it is community centers, uh, senior centers, that's uh, just to keep that straight alone. You know, who is closed, who hasn't, what's new in town. Yeah. Uh, and I want to commend you and your team for a wonderful job uh, that you do each and every day. And, you know, one of the questions that I want to pose to you is um, we hear a lot in post-discharge about, especially in poor communities, uh, like ours, is access to medication. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, we do med rec when they're in the hospital and we reconcile their meds. And we find oftentimes that they don't have medicines. They can't afford them. Mm -hmm. um, it's alarming the number of cases that you see of patients that in the discharge process, we know if they don't get their insulin, they will be readmitting within 30 days. That's that's an area of concern because, the, as we know, the payers don't pay us if they readmit, regardless of what the diagnosis is. But, you know, that has to be a big burden of yours and a concern is access to medication for the population, especially the elderly. Mm -hmm. And so we have elderly that are making decisions. I've had them share this with me between, you know, gas money and paying the light bill to buying the insulin. Absolutely. This is, these are true issues, right? Absolutely. Talk, give awareness to this issue to our mm -hmm. listeners yeah. Uh, about this issue, if you would, please. Yeah. So um, one of the questions that we ask every patient that we see is, do you have access to your medications? Um, are you able to pick them up appropriately? Uh, do you feel comfortable taking them? Things like that. Mm. Um, and so most patients, if they tell us that they have a problem taking a certain medication, first of all, there are some medications that have assistance programs. So we'll try to get them signed up with the assistance programs. Mm. Um, we have some medications medications that have like 30-day free trial cards. So we'll give those. Um, some of those medications as well you can find at your primary care physician. They have like samples and yeah. things like that that you can give out. Yeah. Um, but there are some patients that say, I have no access. I have no money. I have no transportation to go get it. There's mm -hmm. no way that I, that I can get this medication. And there have been times where we have had a physician or a nurse or someone go and get those medications mm -hmm. for them, at least so that they can be started off with something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I know of a uh, case manager here in our hospital who not only picked up a patient's prescriptions for them, but took them to their home after oh, yes. this individual had been discharged. Yes. So yes. she knows who she is, but she does not like being recognized. So no. I won't name her, but we yeah. love her. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, we have we have all unfortunately yeah. had to go to a purchased pharmacy and purchase myself. medications. Yeah. yeah. Right. Dr. Yeah. Shooker, and yep. we've done it because yep. we we know yep. that that patient would not have access to medication. Nope. And right. we've all done it. And I think that's the yeah. beauty of local, small, regional mm -hmm. healthcare. Yeah. We know those those folks. Yeah. We we know the burdens. We know their family or lack of family, 
And uh, it's just pretty tremendous opportunity to serve. So mm-hmm. as yeah. you've shared today, I mean, multifaceted mm-hmm. is case management. You know, not Definitely. only are you a nurse, mm-hmm. um, but you are giving the extra care beyond nursing for making sure that these patients don't readmit. Because that's our goal, right? Absolutely. Keep the patient out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Keep yeah. them out of the ER. Mm-hmm. And your job now is really working with ER patients, right? Yep. Yep. So what is, I mean, that yeah, is... Yeah, let's talk about let's that because that's a recent change that, yeah. that mm-hmm. is like, I just keep hearing people, everybody around here is raving about having you down there in the ER in that close proximity. Yeah. 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 So I am consistently watching over the um, ER patients. So always checking to see, you know, if the patient could meet criteria, if they don't meet criteria, if there's something that I see that the patient may need, um, you know, some resources out there, then I'll attempt to talk to the nurse first and see mm-hmm. if they're, you know, open or available to to having a case manager come talk to them. We'll go in and see them. Um, we do have a lot of placements um, that come into the emergency room. So patients that come in that whether it's family members that are just caregiver fatigue and they, mm-hmm. you know, just are physically and mentally and emotionally unable to care for this patient anymore, but they want someone or some place safe for this patient to go. Um, not that they have any medical, you know, needs at all, but just just so right. so ready for someone to be mm-hmm. able to to just relieve them. So we'd have a lot of uh, patients that come in like that. And so mm-hmm. that is what most of my job is, honestly, is just um, giving them the resources that they need or actually making sure that the patient gets to a safe environment. Right, right. Um, and, and we and, do have respite care on our skilled nursing facility. So I imagine there are times where the family just does not know what's available and you're able to say, hey, we can help you. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And unfortunately... Funds come into play with that too. It does. So, right. yeah. so okay. it's exactly. so hard. Yeah, yeah. it's it heartbreaking. On coverage. It and, is yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 So, um, but really just making sure that all of the patients down there, if, if there's a patient that doesn't need to be admitted, you know, if there's something that I can do to help them so that they can just go home, um, then I'm just down yeah. there. Ready right. to help. So, so Nicole. Can yeah. I can I get you to admit on a national podcast <laughs> that a little bit of the anger that you held in your heart for me transferring you down there was actually it, it actually worked out for the good. No, it? it definitely worked out for the good. It definitely right, I'm gonna definitely save this did. Clip. I'm yeah. going to save this clip uh, so that way we can play it back. But no, in all seriousness, thank you for what you do mm-hmm. and your team. You know, as the manager of case management, it's beyond just you having one task. You have to make sure that the whole program right. functions efficiently. Mm -hmm. And then you're coordinating with, you know, our skilled nursing facility, discharge planners and intake, and you're working with outside, you know, centers. And it's a lot of coordination. It's a Mm -hmm. lot of work. Well, Um, and you give, I think you give the family and the patient the feeling that they're not alone in trying to navigate the process, because we all know how overwhelming it is to be able to try and figure out, okay, now I'm at the hospital. Okay, what now? I'm getting admitted. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen after I need to go home? All of that is just so, can be so difficult and patients already feel so vulnerable. Family members are so protective, but they don't necessarily know what to do or how to help Mm -hmm. or how to advocate. And you're able to step in and do that, which I think is so powerful. It is powerful. It's empowering the patients. Right. And uh, I just want to thank you for the work that you and your team do each and every day. Case management, a critical uh, function of hospital operations for the good of the patients. So thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. No problem. Thank you. And before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, 
what it now you're from a rural area come on yeah. reading do they even have a stoplight <laughs> one. no do just they have a, one just a blinking yellow just a blinking light. yellow <laughs> light just like me down the road in camden right one blinking light okay and so i want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories unique to rural life and we've done everything from cow tipping in camden to you know fouling the amish buggies <laughs> to all the things yep. that we've done to, that to uh saving a cow from the middle of the road and by yes. the time they got to the hospital for their shift the person whose cow it was had brought them some had cheese brought them the cheese yes exactly exactly so sometimes it's healthcare related and sometimes, sometimes it's not, it's not. Yeah. so what is your most unique rural experience um I don't know. I mean, I like like you said, I've only ever lived here. So um, I'm used to I feel like not having a ton of things to do, you know, just in the area and things like that. But um, honestly, I just love I love that everyone kind of knows everybody. Like even with the outside sources that we have, honestly, you you've seen them probably because they've probably come to the hospital to check in on their patients or, you know, it's someone, you know,'s daughter, sister, you know. It's it's so nice it to be is. able to just know everyone. We have somewhat of a personal relationship with honestly some of the outside facilities, the people that we talk to, even in Jackson or Coldwater yeah. or whatever it may be. We've seen them, we've had lunch with them, we've been able to oh, yeah. interact with them, and I I love being able to do that. When someone changes up on me, I'm like, wait, who is wait this? <laughs> right, right. I'm sorry, where are, yeah, they? Where are they? You're at? like, where's yeah. my friend Tonzo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just I love that. I love yeah. being in a small town. And, and everyone kind of knows everyone. That's so you know you're in a small rural town when you get excited when you see the construction of a Dollar General, <laughs> yes. and you say to your <laughs> wife, like I do, I can't wait to stop in them. Now we uh, third time a dozen. You've been in one, oh, you've yeah. been in the same, but we couldn't wait to get into our Dollar General mm-hmm. in our small little you town. You throw a rock these days in a rural community, you're going to hit like four Dollar Generals. Like four Dollar Generals in yeah. a pizza shop. Yeah. But yeah. we, but that's when you know you're in a rural community, you get excited at that. So, right. Nicole, thank you for joining us on Rural Health Rising. It's yep. been great to have you as a guest today, and we hope to have you back in the near future. Awesome. Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Nicole Klein, Manager of Case Management at Hillsdale Hospital. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.